Hi, everyone. My name is Pete Cazaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. Today's topic is the right and wrong way to navigate transitions, the right and wrong way to navigate transitions. I want to approach this, however, through uh, four different case studies, really four very different contexts and situations uh, from people around the world, actually, each of which brings a, uh, a fresh, unique angle on this vast, very important topic of navigating transitions. I wrote a, a general chapter on this uh, in The Emotionally Healthy Leader. It was actually the final chapter of the book, and it was called Endings and New Beginning. Endings and New Beginnings. And it was, it was in the final chapter because everything leading up to it uh, needed to be laid as a foundation for it. And uh, it just requires so much from us to navigate transitions well. And I, I want to encourage you to pick up that book uh, and check it out or go to our website. Uh, there's a free discussion guide with some short video chapter introductions as well. Uh, just go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash leader. Uh, emotionallyhealthy.org slash leader. But before I dive into these four case studies, let me just make a few general comments. Endings and transitions are often poorly handled in our own lives and ministries, organizations, and teams. And as a result, we often miss God's new beginnings and the new work which he is launching. Because we view endings uh, and transitions as failures to be avoided, and we disconnect the, the challenging nature of the process from the fact that it's a core issue of discipleship for all of us and everybody involved. And, and then we also fail to remember that transitions trigger us and touch core and deep family of origin issues uh, for all of us. And uh, we forget that very big, important biblical truth that death is a necessary prelude to resurrection and that to bear long-term fruit for Jesus in and through us, there are things that must die so that something new can blossom. And if we don't get this, we'll tend to dread endings and transitions like the wider culture does. And we end up seeing them as failures rather than doors uh, from God to walk through because he has something new for us. And often what happens, because we don't want to transition so often and we stay maybe too long in where we are, what should have been a healthy graduation into something new turns out into a, turns out to be a divorce. So again, this is a core theology, core discipleship issue uh, for leaders, for ministries, for all of us in life. But the underlying theology is that the Holy Spirit is alive. He's inherently creative. He blows like the wind. He's moving and he invites us to new possibilities all the time. So let me, with that, let me dive into uh, the first of our four case studies. I'm going to call uh, this woman uh, pastor. Her name is Jane. And uh, she gives a bit of a history of the church. It uh, is 38 years old and uh, at one time had peaked at about 500 people. And that's some solid pastoral leadership for 20 uh, over well over 20 years, but it began to decline even when that uh, founding leadership was there. Uh, and uh, anyway, in about the year 2014, it began to decline. The polarization of uh, the uh, 2016 election accelerated that decline in the church, uh, continued to go down. Uh, and then 
uh, actually down to about 200. And then there was a good long transition process into now Jane becoming the lead pastor by 2019. But of course, then the pandemic hit uh, almost immediately and Jane and her husband, uh, with her husband assisting, are now the leaders in the church. And so uh, she sends this case study and it's a, it was such a well-done case study, fascinating. And so uh, she responds to, this, here's what she writes. She writes, I'm, I'm struggling to discern if it's time for the ending of our church or whether God wants to make it through this transition to a new beginning. She'd obviously read the chapter on endings and new beginnings. She writes, we're so diminished that I'm not sure I know what is sustainable. Uh, and people are leaving for, uh, you know, there's a natural leaving post-COVID and all that. And some some is because of the charged political climate that they're in. And others just a healthy leaving and moving on to something new. And But she writes, you know, I have an amazing core of leaders. Uh, they recently went on a leadership retreat, very well attended, amazing veterans and servants. Uh, who've made it through all of this uh, and are all very much behind her as the lead pastor, uh, very much committed to the vision of the future, but they're weary and working hard and grieving this season. And then finally, she writes, you know, I'm, I'm, you know the, the key leaders want to keep going, but I'm concerned. I'm a visionary. I've got a lot of faith, uh, et cetera. And it looks like our church is failing in human eyes. And I don't want to prolong a seed that needs to die, nor do I want to give up too soon. So really, really well done. And, uh, and then in response to the question, you know, what attempts have you made so far to address it? They've made some cutbacks in their activities and programs, so it's much more manageable, spending a lot more time in prayer. But the question is, she's holding is, how do I discern if I'm leading a flock through an ending or a beginning? And how do I discern between healthy limits, et cetera, et cetera? Excellent. Thank you so much, Jane. That was a really, really great, great case study. Um, so uh, I, I would just say that, uh, first of all, I, God is doing an amazing thing uh, in your church. I, I read this in awe of your clarity, your ability to describe the factors, the leadership team, your history. And uh, I, it was very hard for me not to read your case study and get very excited and uh, about what God was doing. Um, the wrong way to handle this would look be looking at it from a worldly point of view, which would be basically making a quick decision uh, and framing it from a world's perspective. I, but I think the right way would be to, to I'm going to give you kind of a couple of really three uh, major points here to, to, to frame this. The first is around grief and loss. I mean, your church has had a lot of, a lot of losses uh, and some you know, real pain um, from uh, the, the leader pastors who actually mentored you and helped you move into this position, uh, who done apparently such a great job. Uh, you know, they them moving on and then hitting with the polarization that hit the United States in 2016, just really impacting your churches. It hit, affected many churches that were being pulled in one political direction or another, and you you really held a very wise ground from what I could see here and. And uh, there was a cost to that. Uh, but the grief and loss your church went through with the transition, the former leadership, the, the polarization that happened in the United States, splitting so many churches, and then COVID-19 on top of all that. And so understand grief and loss 
uh, theologically is a major thing your church has gone through, and you're stewarding that. Remember, uh, there's three basic phases to, to grief and loss. We, we, we feel it, like David did in the Psalms, and uh, you have really felt it, and it sounds like your leaderships have felt it, and they're weary from it. But yet, phase two, you wait on the Lord with it, and then you let God birth something new out of the old. But you're stewarding and maturing and deepening uh, in that grief and loss. Uh, you know, I... Grief and loss is like, you know, growing in our ability to steward our losses is much like, I love to compare it to a becoming a master artist or master uh, uh, electrician or carpenter or plumber. It takes, you start as an apprentice, then you move to be a journeyman or journeywoman, then you become a master. Well, same thing with grief and loss. It takes years, decades to master the art of allowing the losses of life to enter into us and mature us, deepen us so that we can offer that as a gift to the world. Uh, your church has been offered a gift and I, I, you're helping them steward it. So I would not see the, the, the feeling of some weariness and loss on, on the part of, of some as, oh, let's maybe throw in the towel here at all. I, I think it's, fan, you know, so, so that's, a, that's a healthy sense, uh, a healthy absorbing of the grief and loss. And you are I believe, at a congregation uh, in a very healthy place in having absorbed it and felt it. Now, the next the qu- next question, number two, is discernment, um, which is I, I want to applaud your non-attachment, uh, which is, you know, one of Meister Eckhart's great contributions to the church is that I, I believe for us as leaders and as Jesus followers that we live in a very healthy Detachment in the sense of we, we're always surrendering everything to God. Everything with we hold everything with a a loose hand, and so you are holding with a loose hand the church. And I I try to do the same thing with anything I'm leading. Uh, that God may choose to let it disappear and move on to other churches and be a blessing, but I'm not holding on to it, trying to cling and demand something happened uh, happen. So you, I just want to applaud that in you. It's beautiful and healthy and wonderful, your openness to what's God saying here in discernment. Because as Ignatius says in his, his exercises, if you're not coming to discernment with a completely open hand, in other words, you're open to whatever God wants, then really your discernment is tainted because you already have an agenda. And so Fantastic. But then in terms, you know, you're spending more time, you note, praying than strategizing, which is great. But but you've got some clear consolations and some desolations too. Your consolations uh, appear to me, for again, I'm just reading your case study here and uh, thank you for the detail, but I see a lot of Holy Spirit consolation uh, in this case study in terms of God is doing some wonderful things in and through you. You gave me a number of examples from even you know, people interested in Christ and where you're living in and just God moving in you and you've got vision, uh, you've got passion, you've got fire in you and it sounds like some of your leaders do as well. I mean, that is just God. Um, and I, it really seems like God is birthing something new and fresh. Uh, God's in this and uh, you're leading the church. I would just be careful uh, as you've cut back on a few things. You mentioned children's church, worship. I would just, you know, you want to be, uh, yes, monitoring your limits, uh, but at this and at the same time, being trying to hold responsibility as you're you are a community and you've got people with small children and just how you can uh, do that in a responsible way 
uh, for folks and just not, again, jerking folks around too much. But again, I applaud you with your embracing of your limits. But I probably, if I was in your shoes, I would probably seek to wrestle with, is there a way that we can help the parents of small children in particular uh, with regards to the children so they can participate more fully, etc. And then thirdly, I, I would, I, I think the disorientation you're experiencing, I, it really, you're providing as a leader a framework here of, uh, you're almost like Jeremiah, Ezekiel, like, you know, the end of Isaiah. Uh, the people are in exile, in a sense. There's been a, a pulling, the rug has been pulled out from under them. And in a sense, you're functioning uh, at, prophetically as a people who have, like, lost your, you haven't lost your building by any means, but your your original thing of how you were functioning as a church and and now you're in this disorientation of this in-between space but but i think just like isaiah and jeremiah and ezekiel did you you want to hold before people the glory of god i think of ezekiel one begins with this tremendous picture of he has a vision of the glory of god you've got some visions inside of you uh but i would hold that prophetically before god before them and just like job went through such losses but god he came out of that as he stayed with god with such a great uh revelation of god now i i've seen you uh but uh, i think you want to be framing from sermons and interactions and helping people see that this is a very biblical season we're in here uh, but god is doing something new god's entrusted you with something here right some some losses some uh some shifts in the culture but um i, I just i just want to bless you let me pull out your your paragraph here of uh, I, you write, I have a lot of faith. I'm a visionary. I'm not worried about tomorrow or even failing. Jesus has been such a great friend, faithful friend to me and my family, and I'm okay not being a full-time pastor. Uh, and I just thought that was just wonderful. I, you're just, just, you know, you're free. You're in such a great place. We need women pastors. I'm just so glad. We need women leaders. Uh, women, Ephesians 4 equippers. Uh I think of Deborah and Judges and Miriam and, and uh, Moses and Numbers. I think of Aquila and Priscilla. Aquila was leading that team and Mary Magdalene being the first apostle to the 12 apostles. And just the image of God of coming through both men and women, male and female in Genesis 1. Um, I just want to applaud you in your role. And I'm just going to close with a final story of why I'm such a... Uh, uh, cheerleader for those of you listening to me or ladies, women, uh, to, to step out and, and lead as God has gifted and anointed you to do that. Years ago, I was in, I was in, and I believe it because I believe it's so biblical. Um, I want to close a little story here before we move to the second case study. I was in Columbia, South America many years ago, and uh, I, this this uh, superintendent uh, brought over to me these two ladies. Uh, and it was a denomination I was speaking at that did not believe in women pastors. Uh, and he goes, yeah, but this woman is a pastor in our denomination. This other woman is actually a bishop. And uh, and she, you know, he told me their story. And they were right there and they filled in details and all that. But they were in a part of the country of Columbia. At the time, they were in the middle of a major guerrilla warfare. Guerrillas were, you know, fighting the government. Uh, and so two pastors were, were killed of their particular local, this one local church. And uh, the first pastor got killed by the guerrillas. Another, another, a man stepped up to lead the church. He got killed. And then nobody wanted to be the pastor of the church because they were going to be targeted. But this, one of the women stepped up and said, I'll do it. 
and she took over the church, and the church just blossomed uh, with her as a lead pastor. And so much so, uh, it grew so much that they planted other churches. She became a bishop uh, over a number of other churches in the area, and uh, actually within the denomination, she became a bishop. And then this other woman stepped up and took her place in the church, and the church continues to grow. Uh, And I said, well, how could they... How could the denomination that doesn't believe in women pastors have a woman pastor and a woman bishop over other pastors? And they just, the guy laughed. And this guy was an authority in the denomination. He goes, it, it was such a powerful move of the Holy Spirit in and through these women that there was nothing we could say. So that was that. <laughs> All right. Case study number two. Our second case study is from Fred. Fred pastors a large church of well over a thousand people. He became the lead pastor four years ago, and but he followed a, a highly uh, charismatic, dynamic founder uh, who'd been there you know many years, but had stepped down, had to step down because of moral failure. And so uh, Fred walked into a culture that was very much formed and embedded around a dynamic one-person leader, and his desire and has been for the last four years to shift that culture. Uh, into less of a hierarchical culture, looking to one person, to much more of a flattening of the hierarchy, team-building, collaborative working environment. But it's been a very painful shift. And uh, so now, uh, so he presents this problem, filled out this case study report, uh, which is all good. And uh, he gave some examples of a number of things he's done to help shift the culture, uh, everything from straight conversations, teaching series, series, restructuring, coaching, etc., and I asked him, the questions asked on the on the forum, what, what do you think are some of your next steps? And he writes about how COVID is a massive opportunity. They've got lots of opportunity, but he goes, lots of opportunities. He goes, my challenge is what not to do. And the question he's holding is, how do we work out what not to do in this post-COVID world? Very good question. So here's the wrong way to do a trend. This 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 kind of trend, navigate this transition is to just fire people. He's got, he's got some few people who are, perhaps not fully on board with where he wants to go or maybe don't quite see the need for it. Uh, the wrong way would be to be reactive, be frustrated, start firing people. Um, and I think also the wrong way is to think COVID uh, or post-COVID church is the primary issue. It may provide a door for you, but it's not the primary issue. The right way to, for this transition to be handled, I believe, is to focus on you, uh, your differentiation, uh, to define who you are and who you're not. What has God given you to do? How has God uniquely made you, your values, your passions, how he is calling and inviting you to lead this community of people? That definition is the most important issue in this transition. Just think of David for a moment. You know, David was a breakthrough leader, but he was very, very different than everything that went before him. Think of Saul. Think of all the way going back all the way back to Moses, a thousand years earlier. Um, he had a vision, a, a way of worship, a way of leading, a, a passion. He's a poet. He's a writer. Um, so you want to get clear uh, without being reactive. Listen to God, getting discernment. I don't know what family of origin stuff you're carrying in this transition uh, to, to assert yourself as a leader. I, I applaud the fact that you want to do team, de- you want to be about team development. But you are the lead person here under a board, of course. So you want to get whatever resources you need to get clearer within yourself of what is the vision God has given you to do in this place, in this particular time. So whether you need a spiritual director, mentors, therapists, whatever, 
um, it's not ex expertise that is needed most for your tr for your navigation of this transition. It is your self differentiation. You are on the right track uh, for sure. And uh, Fred, you may lose some people, perhaps or a few, as you go on. Uh, it's very possible, very probable, actually. Um, but your uh, you know, and they may say things to you like, nobody can work with you if, if a couple of people leave, you know, and what about their vision too? And, um, well, if someone's going to be on your, on your staff or in your leadership as a, even as a volunteer, their vision must fit within your larger vision. Uh, and, uh, I know it well, I've, I've tried to navigate transitions through external issue, external kind of, uh, moving some things around, but, I found that getting clear about what is what was my vision or my values, where I want to go, uh, and getting comfortable in my own skin was actually the key. And so I had, um, I can remember one instance where I did have a person who'd been with us for quite a long time, and he, he probably loved eight tenths of my vision of where I wanted to go, but there was two tenths that we were different. Uh, and as we grew and moved forward, that two tenths became more and more of an issue. It's almost like a a, 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 a rocket, you know. If you're if two rockets are going in parallel lines, but then one has got a three degree angle different. Over time, that 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 the gap between the two rockets grows and grows and grows. Well, same thing with vision. Um, as, as you get clearer and more differentiated about where God's taken you and who you are, uh, it just creates. Um, sometimes not everyone's going to go with you. Uh, so how do we work out what not to do? Well, the most important thing not to do is, is you need more time, not less, to lead yourself. Uh, this is the transition. The great transition is you, and everything will flow from that. And so that's why I like to ask those, those two leadership questions uh, on endings and new beginnings, which is, which I always ask myself is what is what is it time to let go of in my personal life and leadership? Because there may be some ways about the way you've been even leading yourself that it's time to let go of and it's time to up your game on that. And then what new new thing might be waiting backstage, waiting to make its entrance? And it sounds like God has really got some things He's inviting you to that are that are backstage waiting to make their entrance and new beginnings for how you're gonna take the church into a new direction. So Blessings. All right. The third case study uh, is from uh, Frank. And uh, Frank uh, has been very active in his entire ministry. Uh, in, in church, he's been very active in church ministry for decades. In fact, it's a very impressive list of involvements of various churches, church plants, very faithful, amazing guy. But he has a significant tent, tent making job all this time as well. Um, a tent-making job in a profession that carried a lot of responsibility. In fact, he retired during COVID, but because of the needs of COVID, it brought him back to work. Um, and uh, he was actually planning to take a sabbatical at the end of his job when it ended, but he got pulled back into work. And so now he's, he's just retiring again next month. And uh, the problem is he's got all these ministry opportunities coming his way, even from a tent-making perspective. And as he writes, this is quite a transition personally and professionally. So he asks me here, uh, what do you think, Pete, are my next steps? And, uh, uh, and uh, so he writes, um, I felt I heard from the Lord to lie fallow to not say yes or no to any good or worthy opportunities. Uh, 
and I'm struggling, question I'm holding is I'm fighting the current of slipping back into working or over-functioning too soon because you've got all these wonderful ministry opportunities in front of me, really fantastic. Um, and uh, so I, I just, I, I want to say to you, Frank, that transitions like this, um, they need time. And uh, I imagine you're in your 60s uh, or late 50s or 60s, and you need some time to step back. You've been you've been running really hard, uh, both in your profession and in church leadership for decades. Now, I recommend every pastor takes a sabbatical every seven or eight years. Um, and uh, I'm going to do a couple of podcasts on that, uh, or a podcast on it next week, actually. Um, I think every pastor needs a sabbatical every three to four months. Uh, but in your case... Uh, I would actually recommend six months uh, or even longer, perhaps, to really step back, to let God replenish your soil, and uh, you can hear him fresh. You, you need time to get unentangled from everything because I, I, there, there is an ending for sure happening. Uh, you sense it. You sense God calling you to stop, but you've never had a sabbatical before. But this is the right way to navigate this transition, not just to go into something new because uh, you've got the, a number of opportunities coming your way, but actually to, the transition is for you to stop, um, disen, disengage, um, do do everything you can to, 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 to replenish your soil and structure a sabbatical. Uh, and again, listen to the next podcast on this. Um, and then I can assure you after six months, nine months, or a year, I would not do less than six months in your case, um, it will become clear to you. The fog will clear but the way you're going to get off the addiction of doing is to stop doing. Uh, and uh, you will find there are some backstage invitations from God waiting for you. But I plead with you to please uh, take that time uh, for this transition. You need it. Now, my final uh, case study is from an individual pastor, an associate pastor. His name is Simon, um, who has just who is in the process of stepping out of his role at the church. And uh, it's a 23-year-old church, good-sized church. Um, and his challenging situation is how to transition well. Uh, he's been there for nine years on staff. He's the you know, worship pastor and a senior leadership team involved with missions, prophetic ministry. But he and his wife have felt this calling into a new focus around their ministry. But they want to leave in such a way that it's possible to leave with honor and love and faith. And so... Uh, Simon's done a lot of fantastic things here, and uh, Simon's actually given me permission to use his name here. And uh, he and his lead, the senior pastor in him, and they have a great relationship. Uh, he's uh, been talking to everybody on staff, the elders, the financial board. Everyone's aware of the transition. He's taking some really good steps, and he's been encouraging people to process uh, with others the primary purpose for why he's making this transition. But he loves the church, wants it to be all good for the church, and... Uh, and uh, so his heart is to add, he writes, to the stability of the church, uh, doing question and answer sessions with the senior pastor, etc. It's all really good. So the question Simon is holding is, I'm wondering about how to walk in honor, humility, and honesty at the same time. Transitioning out of a church after nine years of staff uh, is a challenge, and I want to create stability, authentic stability. How do I help the church in these coming months? What are healthy and unhealthy ways to do it? Uh, so, Simon, I, the reason I wanted to do your case study at the end, because it's just, a, you've done a great job here. It's impressive. Uh, and you've also been able to articulate, it's really hard. It's hard for you. It's hard for the church, even though it's all good. Uh, people need to move on and change. It's healthy. Transitions are healthy. Now, the wrong way to do it is, is 
which you haven't done, which is to do it quickly, abruptly, and blame the church for being bad. Uh, and also another wrong way to do it, which I think is in your temptation list here, which is to carry too much anxiety for the church. Um, and in some cases, people never leave because they can't bear the thought it will cause other people pain. But the right way, I, I would say, is, is to take a step back. And uh, you've done a lot of good things here. But I just want to remind you that this is not just about your formation and discipleship. Uh, it's about your churches as well. You, the great gift you're giving this church, your church, uh, and you're really pastoring them. You're, you're, you're saying, imitate me as I imitate Christ, is, is there's healthy leaving. There's healthy transitions. Um, you're serving the church. Uh, you're offering a great model that's going to impact generations and free everyone. Remember, um, your, your church is a, is a family, and families need to mature and grow up. That's systems theory. And so you want to affirm the fact, yes, some people are sad. There is a grief. There is a loss for you and for everybody. And so you want to really, in a sense, use this season to teach about endings and new beginnings. You want to teach about loss and grief. We feel our losses. We wait on God, but we let God birth something new out of the old. He is risen. He's alive. And so you can affirm that people both are true. There's pain, but there's at the same time, there's a sense of expectation. As we wait. God's got something great for this church. Thank God you're leaving so the new can be birthed. You've got a very clear sense of God leading you and your wife to something new, even though it hasn't unfolded yet. So you're in a real great unknown, but you do know you need to leave. And that's just beautiful. And I just love the way you've worked at the relationships. Um, and, and the fact that you know, the lead pastor is going to leave someday. Other leaders are going to leave someday. The Holy Spirit is about new beginnings. He's alive. And so you're, you're modeling the fact that this is part of a healthy, mature body in church. We don't, in an unhealthy way, cling to people. We cling to Jesus. I love the way Parker Palmer said it. On the spiritual journey, every time a door closes, the rest of the world opens up. All you need to do is stop pounding on a door that just closed you turn around, which puts the door behind us, and welcome the largeness of life that now lies open to our souls. And so it applies to you. You don't know what the new door holds, but you know one door is shut. Uh, now, the same thing with the church. God's vacated your position at the church, and they don't know immediately what, what's it going to look like. But God's alive, and the Holy Spirit's going to lead them and show them. And um, especially as you do things here honestly and with integrity, and you keep functioning as a pastor to them, even when you leave, uh, when people will inevitably come to you, but you continue to function as a healthy member of that system. Remember, when we leave a, a, a church body, we're always a part of that body, even if we leave the, move to the other side of the country. And so uh, I know when I did my transition at New Life Fellowship Church, a succession after 26 years of being a lead pastor, um, I, I, I modeled something, uh, and I was very aware it was, it was not just my formation and following of Jesus, it was for the whole church. And so I, uh, and I believe very much I put into the, into the church, into the body, a healthy transition process. I've seen it now in the last you know, eight, nine years, uh, and I believe very much that, the, uh, that it's gonna, the healthy succession is going to follow that church in the decades to come, and I'm excited about that. So you got to take a long view of this, not just for yourself, but for the church, and that these are opportunities to really do mentoring and formation in that church in a way that was not possible before. So um, yes, feel for them, but don't overfunction at the same time. And the Lord, may the Lord bless you as you wait on Him for that next door to open.
So again, I wrote a, a general chapter in the Emotionally Healthy Leader book called Endings and New Beginning, and uh, I would encourage you to pick up that book uh, or in go, and go to our website, emotionallyhealthy.org slash leader. And I do some short video chapter introductions there. Check that out as well as a free discussion guide you can pick up there uh, as well. So just check it out, emotionallyhealthy.org slash leader. Thanks, everybody. It's been great to do this uh, case studies uh, with you. Uh, although I must admit I have papers scattered all around my desk here with all these different notes. Uh, and I've got to figure out a better way to, to do this. But it's been a joy to be with you, everybody. You have a wonderful day. Thanks. Thanks.